Welcome back to this special correspondence edition of Off the Record. And our lead stories include a budget stalemate in the works and we're back to normal, says the governor. On the OTR panel, Chad Livengood, Jim Kirstner, Zoe Clark, and Emily Lawler. Sit in with us as we get the inside out. Off the Record. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. And now, this edition of Off the Record with Tim Skubik. Welcome back to Off the Record. We're taping on Wednesday of this week, and it's nice to have you on board. So everything we say from this point on will probably be dated by Friday, but that's showbiz. All right, let's welcome our panel. We got Emily and Jim and Zoe and Chad. Uh, Zoe, the governor says, hey, celebrate. Uh, all, all, most of the restrictions are gone. How's Michigan doing? Yeah, well, uh, basically, this is sort of the the in-person announcement that I think a lot of us were surprised that we didn't see uh, last Thursday, right? There was this yeah. release that came out, uh, a written statement saying, Boring. come Tuesday, we will open up. I, yeah. I think everyone was a little like, wait, what? This is how you're dropping this? Yeah. Um, and so, yes, on Tuesday, we saw the governor, we saw the lieutenant governor, Dr. Judy Caldoun, we saw uh, Mike Duggan on Belle Isle in Detroit, basically saying, you know, Michigan summer is here. And the governor was asked, you know, you had this July 1st deadline. <clears throat> Before that, you had a 70% vaccine rate as sort of your, your hopefulness. And she said, look, we're pivoting. The data show that we can open up and we're going to do it. And, you know, politically, it doesn't hurt to do it early. And it doesn't hurt particularly to make sure folks feel as the governor said, uh, that summer is going to be a little bit more normal, particularly as folks, you know, get ready in the next week or two to celebrate July 4th. Jimmy, isn't saying we're back to normal and feeling back to normal two distinctly different things? No question about it. I called it last week when that news release came out in the email, the end of prohibition, uh, <laughs> because we have been in this lockdown for 15 months. Yeah, absolutely. But while we're talking about a 61.2% vaccination rate in Michigan, it's a dismal 37% here in the city of Detroit, which means this could very well be another hotspot very soon. Everybody's talking about this Delta variant, uh, one in five new cases nationally now with this Delta variant. So what's going to happen here in the next few weeks with the 4th of July, with a lot of people gathering? Are we going to see the numbers shoot back up and have to retract a lot of these uh, lifting of the restrictions. Emily, what do you think? Look, I think that we've sort of reached a natural stopping point um, for people really um, paying attention to and internalizing these guidelines no matter what. Um, you know, I do think that the governor would have had been hard pressed to say, um, you know, we're continuing these um, here, a new round of restrictions, perhaps related to the Delta variant or anything else. Um, I really do think that people are, are sort of confused. Vaccinated people, um, you know, are saying that they shouldn't have to follow the same guidelines as unvaccinated people. Um, of course, we have no um, statewide system for telling who's vaccinated or who's not. So that's just sort of an honor system at this point. But I think that the governor, um, you know, was smart to sort of look at that landscape and say, um, and also our incredibly low case numbers right now, I think under 100 cases um, yesterday reported for the first time that um, I can recall in the last 15 months. So, um, you know, I think that the governor sort of looked at all those factors and it did make sense to say, you know what, Michigan and 
enjoy your summer. Yeah, it was June of 2020 was the last time we were below 100, and the positivity rate is hovering around 2 percent. They want it to be at 3 percent. That's good news. But, Chad, the Republicans were quick to say, the governor, yeah, what you did was right, but it was too little too late. Well, yeah, they did. I mean, I, a few months ago, I wrote that there was that the, the governor had 10 billion reasons why to start lifting a restriction. <laughs> Because uh, there's all this money, uh, this bonanza of federal <clears throat> stimulus money, and lo and behold, starts lifting restrictions, has that big, huge press conference on the on the Dow Diamond in Midland, and and starts announces, you know, the end is near uh, July 1st. We, you know, we'll, we'll we'll rip the mass off, uh, and June 1st, you know, people can uh, will we'll lift capacities to 50 percent, and 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 of course that happened, and then and then the 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 case rates just plummeted. I mean, we were down into the low hundreds, and uh, and we haven't seen cases like this since last June, and we're testing more, and at the same time. The uh, the the bad positivity rate is down, and then the Republicans kind of responded with, "Hey, let's let's pass some money. Let's 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 <laughs> a little money now." And so they they you know today the governor is going to be signing this 2.2 billion dollars of, of various COVID relief funds. Some of it's left over from the December stimulus. Some of it's from the March. They had deadlines. They had to spend it. Now the kind of question is. Uh, do, do, can they can they get together and actually uh, uh, do the big budget deal, do the big grand bargain here, uh, and spend all the extra billions of dollars um, and meet their own deadline? I mean, the legislature, uh, including Senate Majority Leader Mike, Mike Shirky, set this July first deadline to have the budget passed, uh, and they uh, look like they're going to blow past it at this at this at this hour. Well, let's put that in perspective. That is a, that is a squeezy. That's a squishy uh, deadline. Okay, it's self-imposed. The world will not end on July first if they don't have the budget done. Everybody on this panel will write a nasty story how my lawmakers missed another deadline. But you know what? We'll all get up on July second, and everything will be fine. But part of the problem on this budget, and thanks for the segue, Chad, is that the schools are saying, you know what? We're not being treated fairly with this federal money. Some schools are getting a boatload of money, and others are not. And here's the setup piece on that to continue our discussion. Now we're still keeping pressure on the legislature and uh, other leaders. Here's why school superintendents and school boards are turning up the heat on Republican lawmakers to change their opinion on this state aid. When the Trump administration last December sent federal COVID dollars to Michigan, lawmakers then included an across-the-board increase for every pupil at $450 per person. But now state lawmakers are close to finalizing another $4.2 billion from the Biden administration for the schools. But the so-called equity grant was taken out of the measure, with the bulk of the money earmarked for disadvantaged children instead. For example, the Flint schools would get $42,000 per pupil. In Detroit, $26,000 per pupil. But in more well-to-do districts, the number could be around $200. There are handfuls of districts that aren't going to get as much as everybody else, and that's probably not as good a news for them. The Republican chair of the Senate Budget Committee, Senator Jim Stamas, is accusing the school superintendents of, quote, blowing up, end quote, the package over this federal aid. The equity grant would be $1,093 per pupil. But the senator argues the $362 million should be saved for other programs down the road. So you're going to see a number of districts who may have been, I wouldn't say counting on it, but anticipating those resources to be included in 
a bill that will no longer um, be able to count on that. However, it appears that the intense lobbying is paying off as House Republicans appear ready to treat every student the same, and they claim to have support among some Senate Republicans. So the battle over how much federal aid goes to how many students remains an intense lobbying effort in our town. This is a beautiful story because it underscores the power of school superintendents around the state of Michigan. This is a story politically that often gets lost. The school superintendents locally have a lot of power and sway, uh, particularly with lawmakers who are running for re-election next year. So uh, is there an equity problem here with this package? Emily? Oh, yeah. So I think that... Um Obviously, there's a potential for this to sort of um, underline what actually could or undermine, excuse me, what could actually be a huge equity budget. Um, you know, one thing that the governor is really proud of that she's proposed, uh, certainly, and that the legislature is looking at is finally eliminating that gap between the highest and lowest funded districts on a per pupil basis. Um, and, you know, uh, doing that is a lot less impactful if you also um, reinstate some sort of gap uh, with this stimulus funding, which granted is one time. Um, and, you know, likely wouldn't be built into going forward budgets. But I think from a messaging standpoint, um, certainly equity would be uh, more favorable at this point. Chad, if you're a Republican in a swing district and your superintendent's angry at you, do you want to go back home for the summer saying I gave you 200 bucks when I could have given you 26,000? No, and you're absolutely right, Tim. I mean, this, the school superintendent and the local hospital administrator are the most powerful people in the ears of, of uh, first-term state reps uh, who, who don't understand typically all the mechanics of these things. They, they you know, they're not, um, they're not versed in Prop A. Uh, they weren't involved in the night in the uh, Christmas Eve 1993 deal <laughs> that ended up giving us this, uh, this system that, that we people have to navigate. Where you have districts in Oakland County, in particular, and Wayne County, uh, where you can go across uh, from one from one road to the next and. Um, <clears throat> Kids, state funding for kids is a two thousand dollar swing, um, and it's and and so these these measures to try to boost these funding for particularly for the urban schools that have been traditionally underfunded uh, or um, not had the the property tax base of a Troy or or Birmingham. Uh, this is trying to correct that, uh, but getting the votes for this is is tricky, uh, as I'm sure uh, Speaker Wentworth is is finding out. Uh, this is not something you can just go in the caucus room, and 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 tap 56 noses and say you're voting for this. That's not that's not how this works. Yeah, I'm still catching up from my sleep from 1993. Z, uh, what's your take on how this is going to be resolved? <laughs> Well, and I mean, I think anyone who says uh, that they know how it's going to be resolved or if that they know that the budget is going to be done by July 1st has uh, a 50-50% chance of just being plain old wrong. Why don't you, don't why don't you ask and, Alexa who's going to win this thing? <laughs> I'm not going to. She'll start talking in the background. We have an errant Alexa, I should note. <laughs> and she'll have a 50% chance of getting it wrong. Um, look, you know, we were... Thinking uh, over the past few days, particularly last week, as Chad said earlier, these restrictions, you know, hearing that they were going to go away. And lo and behold, it seemed maybe there was going to be a moment of 
collaboration. Uh, we, we know the governor's uh, uh, budget uh, director began to be part of these conversations. And then on Belle Isle on Tuesday, the governor sounded more pessimistic, talking again about needing Republicans to come to the table, that she can only invite them to the table, right? Um, you have uh, Chair Albert uh, still somewhat hopeful, uh, but you have Stamis basically saying, uh, you know, I'm not holding my breath. Um, and, you know, I think part of this, again, shocker is political. Do you want to give uh, this governor a bipartisan win early in the summer before the legislature goes on, you know, their summer recess? And she can spend the summer saying, you know, the state is open and we've got billions of dollars, you know, pumping back into the state. Jimmy, what's your take on all this? I'm not as close to this as all you guys up there in Lansing watching the process. I can tell you this has been a decades-long argument, the haves and the have-nots, the poor districts, yeah. the Flints, the Detroits. They don't have what the rich suburbs have here in Metro Detroit. So certainly they're going to argue to get some of this money. It's a, a one-time shot with the federal dollars, and the politics are certainly involved. Uh, do the Republicans, I think uh, that's the right uh, tone right here. Do the Republicans want to give this governor a bipartisan win right now going into summer and also a year out of this election? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, though, each individual lawmaker will do the calculus based on his or her district, and uh, giving the governor a win may pale in comparison to letting me win my reelection thing. Well, depending what district they're going to be in. I mean, this is, you know, this is the sort of conversation and story that's in the background of all of this. You know, yep. we always hear vote your district. What district will half of these lawmakers who are running for re-election actually be in, you know, come these new maps in uh, 22? All right, Chad, let's turn the page to the governor's race. We haven't talked about that. Uh, the race is going on, isn't it? It is. Uh, James Craig, uh, the now former retired uh, police chief of Detroit, he's making the rounds. Uh, it seems like I see a new photo every every morning from some event in like Oakland County somewhere that he's or somewhere other part of the state. He's clearly out uh, building some support. He's not in, he's not a declared candidate yet for for governor, but he's you know he's sort of uh, out there kind of acting like the. Uh, the, um, you know, the assumed front runner. Um, but uh, no, there's some other candidates that, that are kind of coming uh, potentially out of the woodwork here. Uh, people, business people we haven't heard of that, that you, you could probably expand a lot more about. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think there's going to be a Republican primary for governor? I think there'll be a primary. I'm not sure that it's going to be all that competitive uh, if, if James Craig wraps up the uh, uh, the establishment um, money vote. Um, right now, it, we, it's really um, the billionaires' primary uh, right now. You're basically sort of competing uh, for, for, for the attention of a few wealthy donors so who are going to potentially fund your super PAC. Uh, and they're not paying attention to, to Garrett Saldano or, or the chiropractor from, from, from Kalamazoo at this point. They're, they're, they're paying attention to, uh, to uh, Chief James Craig. Yes, but James, increasingly we're paying attention to a guy named Kevin Rinke. There's a name from the past if you grew up in Macomb County. Uh, what, what's the buzz down there from your uh, listening post? Uh, yeah, we hear uh, Go ahead, Jim. Jim. Well, yeah, not a lot at this point. I think uh, James Craig is sucking all of the oxygen out of the room. Everybody's waiting for him to formally announce. 
Uh, and then when he does, he's going to be faced with the tough questions about uh, how much does he support Trump. He's uh, announced he is a Republican, and he's got to go through all of those tough questions in that litmus test. And he's, I'm sure, getting briefed behind the scenes right now and getting his playbook, getting his talking points ready so he'll be able to answer those. But I think everybody's waiting to see that shoe drop before they're ready to move on and take a look at other people. Emily, what's your take? Yeah, I think that obviously James Craig would be the biggest uh, name so far, but it, it is curious that we aren't hearing um, other big, well-established political names. And you sort of wonder if Republicans are seeing some sort of internal polling or writing on the wall and not thinking that this looks like an election that they want to risk a political career on. Um, the people that we're hearing get into the race at this point are either people who don't have a political career at this juncture um, or, you know, like James Craig, who are big names um, in other regards, uh, not politics. Um, and I guess uh, same for the businessmen you mentioned. So, you know, I really do wonder um, sort of why the field is shaping up this way and if we will see a more traditional candidate emerge. But honestly, um, you know, time's sort of ticking if you want to lock up those dollars. Uh, look, at take this take this to the bank. Ron Weiser, OK, would like to orchestrate a one person primary for a number of reasons. One, it saves a boatload of money for the general election Two, somebody else in a field. Republican field is not beating up on the guy that you want to be governor. And the, the, the dirty little secret is Ron Weiser wants James Craig to be the nominee. Right, Z? Yeah, and as we've talked about before, let's remember in, in the very crowded primary that basically allowed Rick Snyder to win because uh, two conservatives, Mike Cox and Pete Hookster, basically split the conservative vote. Ron Weiser was chair of the Republican Party then. Yes, he wants this locked up. Um, you know, there's only so many quote unquote successful businessmen outsiders who can jump in. I feel like businessmen now, when you talk about politics, you have to put successful first. It's actually one word, successful businessmen. But, you know, you have John James, successful businessman, uh, deciding whether or not he is going to, you know, try a hat trick of running again. But to Emily's point, I mean, Republicans can continue to say that they feel like Whitmer is, um, you know, wounded after uh, this pandemic and because of the economy. But the fact is, if you were feeling good about your candidates, you would have them out right now. Whitmer announced she was running in January 17. Mark Schauer, when he was running against incumbent Sire, that was May of 2013. So we are well past any of those dates. Uh, Jim and I have had a little back and forth on this next story. Uh, Jim, are you now a believer that Candace Miller will not run for lieutenant governor, sir? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm going to cave in to your way of thinking because I've talked to some more people and, and they're telling me that she has said she's very comfortable where she is uh, as Macomb County Public Works Commissioner, uh, which she is in her second term. And uh, she uh, has no desire to work hard on a campaign trail and does not want the job of Lieutenant Governor. So you win. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not a win. It's a tremendous victory. Uh, Chad? And I'm humble home. about it. No, <laughs> we've, we've had fun with this story back and forth. But Chad, have you, uh, give me your take on this Kevin Rinky guy, former car dealer, uh, business guy. What do we know about him? Uh, Tim, I, I, you know, he's a little past my time. He's, 
his bat blast in the past. So I don't know a lot about him other than, you know, he's got a little bit of name recognition in Macomb County. And that, that does carry some weight if you're trying to, to, uh, you know, uh, be, be, uh, think about Macomb County politics. Um, but, um, as for Candace Miller and segue in Macomb County politics, I think, I think she's gotten real comfortable in that job. Uh, it's a job where she, she feels like she's getting something done. She's fixing infrastructure and, uh, you know, there's the allure of uh, being able to just get a hop on your sailboat in Harrison Township and go hit the <laughs> And that's a lot more appealing than going to a chicken dinner in, in Algonac. Don't protest too much, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rubber chicken to boot. Look, at people have asked me, Scooby, if she's not running, running, why doesn't she say so? Here's the reason, folks. She likes it. It gives her some power. It gives her some people coming to her, keeps her name in the media. Why are you smiling, Chatteroo? She, she wants to be a queen maker here at some point. There yes. you go. Uh, she has that potential. I actually talked to Mr. Rinky. I got his phone number, and I actually talked to this guy on the phone. He seems very down to earth and uh, has a good sense of humor. Uh, he admitted that he's never seen off the record. Ooh, pregnant wow. pause. Yeah, wow. exactly. Yeah, okay. So I gave him the address. I said, because well, I asked him to do the show. He said, well, I haven't seen the show. I said, well, thank you and 9 million other people in Michigan. Okay. And so <laughs> he said he promised that he would get back to me. I'm still waiting. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, he, he, is, he just said he's going to raise his profile and start moving around the state, which is a signal that maybe he's ready to play the game. All right, let's talk well, quickly. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, Ken, let me interrupt you a second. Sure. Is he in? What did he tell you? Is he in? Yeah, he didn't answer the question. Okay, uh, he, he said, you know, he now has said to, uh, I think, was it was it you guys M Live that he is seriously considering it, Emily? I think, I think Detroit News had a piece. I have seen Same difference. Them. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's seriously considering, which everybody is always seriously considering. Emily, what's going on on no fault? We've got another July 1st deadline with a lot of people who have serious injuries being very, very anxious. Yeah, certainly there's been an intense lobbying effort um, at the state capitol to make some sort of uh, 11th hour changes um, that could benefit these folks. But actually, I'm going to defer to Chad, who's been covering that with a gusto, uh, unmatched in the Capitol press corps, certainly. <laughs> Tim, so just a quick overview. The, the 2019 law had a two-step process. One was in 2020, people could start opting out of unlimited medical benefits and get lower car insurance rates. The second step is uh, is these cost containment measures they put into trying to co contain the cost of, of, of medical uh, coverage and bills that are attached to these catastrophic uh, car accidents. And those, that fee schedule for providers, the 55% the, uh, of their capital 5% of what they've been able to charge in the past, that kicks in on July 2nd. And so they've been, these uh, um, home healthcare companies uh, and rehab centers and brain injury, spinal cord uh, rehab centers, they've all been lobbying pretty hard, that arguing that that's going to basically put them out of business and that you're going to have thousands of people uh, in, in quadriplegics, the people in wheelchairs, the most vulnerable people, people on ventilators that will need to move out of in-home living or move out of out of uh, uh, these these facilities and into a nursing home and 
And and so that there's a there's a real fear. There's a real crisis about to happen. Uh, that the healthcare sector is not prepared to take this. Uh, and 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 so there is a lot of an effort to try to lobby. It all kind of rests with with House Speaker Jason Wentworth, who was one of the authors of the 2019 law. He chaired the, the special committee on auto insurance that year. And Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky. They they called the shots on this. Well, uh, uh, Governor Whitmer is calling for a change, and and they are. Uh, they are kind of slowly uh, moving along or not really uh, making any kind of moves at this point. Zoe, the speaker announced this week that he's thinking about creating a $10 million emergency fund to pay for some of these services. Uh, is that the solution and does it fly? Uh, it, there, part of me feels like if that was the solution, you know, then uh, Mike Shirky would have jumped on and you had Whitmer, as Chad say, sort of say this is a problem, but not necessarily offer any solutions or legislation. Uh, Mike Shirky is basically saying, let's have it go into effect and then let's actually see uh, whether or not it is this sort of um, uh, chaos and crisis that folks say it is. Um, you know, I certainly haven't gone through the numbers and the books, but I, I mean, I don't know that $10 million is going to get you very far if you actually look at what these folks are saying are, are going to happen and, you know, whether or not these facilities are going to close. I mean, I don't know that $10 million is going to save this situation if it's as dire as it sounds like it is. Jim, this Jim, is a tick. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Chad. I don't know. I don't know what House Republican want to want to vote for this and then get labeled that they voted for a $10 million bailout for the multi-billion dollar profit mm-hmm. auto insurance industry. Mm-hmm. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. There is a $23 billion fund for catastrophic claims uh, that is getting great relief from this law. Uh, there's still $23 billion <clears throat> fund, and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, and we're not talking about a lot of people, I mean, but we're talking about a nexus of, of fewer than 18,000 people uh, that, are, that rely on this fund for their care uh, because they've been in these horrific car accidents. Some of them have been in these kind of conditions for decades. Uh, and so we got families scrambling. I know of one case where they, they had to move a family member to Florida to a facility for billing purposes. Um, and so there is, uh, there, there's going to be a story like this every day yeah. uh, in July. And that is going to be as much of a crisis for these legislators when they start looking at real world effects of what happened here and what they did. There's also something just sort of awfully poetic about all of this. That the, it seems sort of like the last time that we saw Republicans and uh, Governor Whitmer have any kind of like embrace and, you know, bipartisanship was on Mackinac Island uh, signing this bill. And, you know, now July 1, it's going to be, you know, predicting a disaster. And it sort of is this uh, parallel to how the relationship has been with the, you know, Republican leaders and the governor. All right, we got to get out of here. This is a ticking time bomb story that will continue to tick away and we'll watch it. Thanks to a great panel today. Great show today, guys. Uh, recording on Wednesday must be our new uh, new elixir here. Uh, next week, more Off the Record right here. See you then. Production of Off the Record is made possible in part by the following. Business Leaders for Michigan has a strategic plan to make Michigan a top 10 state in the nation for jobs, personal income, and a healthy economy. Learn more at michigansroadtotop10.com. For more Off the Record, visit wkar.org. Michigan public television stations have contributed to the production costs of Off the Record with Tim Skubik.